Good morning, everyone. Thank you for braving the blizzard outside, <laughs> making it here. It's always funny to me when it rains what happens. Uh, grateful to be with you this morning and opening the scriptures. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we'll be this morning. If you don't have a Bible underneath the seat in front of you, you should be able to find a blue one. And you can look in the first book in the New Testament called Matthew, and we'll be in chapter 6 in just a couple of minutes. Last uh, Sunday morning, we began the first of four, so a short sermon series uh, on money by looking at some things John the Baptist had to say. John the Baptist's role was to prepare people for Jesus, and so the idea was that we'd look at one text in which John the Baptist would prepare us to hear what Jesus would have to say to us for the rest of the month. And John taught us in a rather provocative way that genuine repentance will reveal itself in a transformed use of money and possessions. That when God is at work in our lives and we're responding to the truths of what the scriptures say, that we'll find that that impacts every part of us. And what John highlighted is that that will be evident in the use of our money and possessions. Today, my hope is that those words would kind of be ringing in our ears if you were here last week and recall what we talked about, that now as we would be prepared to hear Jesus himself, we would look at the Sermon on the Mount. We're gonna jump in in just a moment down in verse 19. I'll read that in a second. But we're jumping in in the middle of a sermon and so just take a moment to, to let you know what that is, what this message is about, in hopes that you'd go back later today or perhaps tomorrow and read the rest of it. It's a wonderful sermon. If Jesus gave a, a manifesto about what life in his kingdom looks like, about what a community of faith should be, about what people who know him as king will prioritize in their lives, then this is it. This sermon addresses things like, what do people who know God look like in everyday life? What do they prioritize? What do they value? How are they different from the rest of the world? What do they believe? How do they relate to each other? And then how do they relate to the broader world around them? In three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus speaks about that. Definitely the most famous sermon in the Bible. I would commend it all to you. But today we wanna to narrow in on a section in which Jesus speaks to the topic of money. And next week, we're gonna look at the following section as we consider the same topic again. So if you would, look with me at verse 19. It says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve God and money. This is one of the most important passages on money and possessions in all of Scripture. And it breaks down in three paragraphs that serve, each serve a different function. First, there's a set of commands. Then there's an analogy that helps describe or set up the commands, or at least it's supposed to. And then finally, there's a reality that's stated before us. And so what I want to do is simply walk through those three sections with you and then try to apply this to our lives today. First, the command or commands. Verses 19 and 20 contain a bunch of pairs. Maybe if you're a math nerd, you noticed some of them. But there's first a positive and a negative in terms of the commands. It says, don't lay up treasures on earth. That's what not to do. And then the other side of the command is, but lay up treasures in heaven. It seems rather simple, but when you slow down and actually start thinking through what that means, it feels like it gets more complicated. And so I think Jesus then went on and gave more pairs in order to describe it. He talks about two locations, that there's two different places we can store up treasures. One is in heaven, and the other is on earth. Earth is the place where Jesus describes moth and rust destroying and thieves break in and steal. Now, we don't really have moths here. They would burn in the sun. But we get the idea. The idea is in one place you store up treasures and they can't be trusted to last. They're not dependable. Stuff will cause them to break down. However, there is a place where you can store up treasures where nothing will cause corruption or destruction ever. That's a pretty cool picture. That place is heaven, and Jesus describes it as where moth does not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And so there's these pairs of commands, then these pairs of locations, but then there's one more pair. It says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, where's the pair, you're asking? Well, it doesn't come through in English, so let me describe for a moment the way Jesus would have actually described this in the original language. The New Testament was written in a, a, a language called Koine Greek, and in the original Greek, what it actually says is, do not treasure for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, it's not translated that way because it's really clunky. But he's pairing the idea of treasuring a treasure. I think that's an important picture for us. Friends, as human beings, we can't not treasure. Treasuring is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. We are not the, the substance of our existence. We are made to mirror or to treasure something or someone else. That someone is God. And so we're going to treasure some kind of treasures. We're gonna image or mirror someone or something. We can't not do that. The question is, where are we treasuring treasures for? Does that make sense? Where are we treasuring treasures for? 
And so Jesus says, don't treasure treasures for yourselves on earth. Instead, treasure for yourselves treasures in heaven. So the command here is about treasuring treasures for the right place. It's not that treasuring is wrong. It's that we've got to treasure for the right place. See, Jesus is simply telling us that worldly treasures are insecure and undependable. They're insufficient if we treasure them for here. We've got to treasure treasures in heaven. Treasures on earth may be stolen, destroyed. The stock market fluctuates. Somebody may steal your identity and all your money. The number of times that's happened to me is astonishing. Anybody else? Maybe just me? During COVID, my social security number was stolen, and I don't know how many states I applied for um, workers' disability. The checks I started getting mailed to my house from other states. This is why our offerings keep going up. Stuff here is insecure. The Fed in a single year might raise the interest rate seven times, nearly doubling it. Eggs might cost $8. You get the point. Things here are ever fluctuating and that which feels secure to us is not. If there's anything the last several years have taught us in the realm of money and what we think of as normal life, that should be it. We've been given a gift that society hadn't had in 100 years. That is a really evident, obvious pandemic that caused us, hopefully, to see. Don't treasure treasures here, because everything can change in a moment. Treasure treasures there where God is, and God does not change. Jesus asserts that people in God's kingdom don't do the same things with money and possessions that everyone else does. Because we know the Savior, our priorities in our spending and in our saving will be radically different. They will shift toward instead of treasuring ourselves, instead of treasuring our treasures toward our own ends, then we will treasure everything we have in such a way that we'll honor God and bless people with it. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what it means to treasure treasures in heaven. It's using whatever we have in such a way that we're reminding ourselves that none of it is ours anyway. It's all God's. And it's to be leveraged in generous giving and generous living for his glory and the help of his people. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not anti-money or anti-possessions. Christ is not a communist. Money isn't bad. Material goods are not evil in and of themselves. Jesus is not against possessions. He's against us being possessed by our possessions. At issue here in Jesus' sermon is a call 
not for the absence of treasures, but that what we have would be used in such a way that people can tell that we treasure Christ, we don't treasure our stuff. And we leverage the goods he gives us to help people, to serve people, to bless people, because Christ is our treasure. Now, if that would ever become a reality for people like us, then we've gotta get down to the root issues related to money, because a mishandling of money, either on the one hand, of burning through it and not having enough for our basic goods because we spent it on stuff we didn't actually need, or on the other hand, being greedy in such a way that we idolize having a savings account that's growing, 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 growing. Either way, down at the root of both of those things is heart issues. We can create a budget, save for retirement, give a little away, live frugally, You can even go minimalistic and still have a heart filled with greed. Because the problem isn't external, the problem is internal. At the end of the day, our struggles with money and possessions reveal what's going on at the heart because money is a matter of the heart. That's why Jesus said at the end of verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, Jesus isn't talking about that physical muscle, of course, that pumps blood throughout our bodies. He's referring to the the steering wheel of your soul, that which is the seat of your affections and emotions. That's the heart. In the Old Testament, that was described as the bowels. Thank God we're New Testament people. We're people of the heart. Where we invest our dollars and how we use our possessions expose the loyalty of our hearts. Let me say that again. Where we invest our dollars and how we use our possessions expose the realities and loyalties of our hearts. Money reveals where our spiritual commitments actually lie. The best barometer for spiritual health is to follow the money trail. That's why John the Baptist last week, when he said, repent, and then the people said, well, what do we do? How do we bear fruit in keeping with repentance? What does that look like? Every single example he gave had to do with money and possessions. It's because those things are external. You can see them. Brothers and sisters, the real issue here is not what brand of clothes you wear, it's not what neighborhood you live in, what apartment complex you're part of, not what kind of car you drive. The issue is the heart. Is the heart, is the seat of your emotions and affections set on Christ? If so, then drive whatever kind of car you can afford. But set your hope, your confidence, your trust, your joy in Jesus. Christians treasure God. Christians trust God. Christians don't hoard every penny for a rainy day, nor do they spend every penny on themselves, looking for purchases 
to give us ultimate meaning and joy. Christians have been freed from the bondage to greed and fear, and therefore we live for God's kingdom. This whole section in Jesus' sermon is essentially saying this, if we treasure God, we will leverage money for spiritual gains. If we treasure God, we'll leverage money for spiritual gains. We'll use what we have in hopes that God will do good with it spiritually in the lives of others. That's why we have what we have. What captivates our lives won't be stockpiling stuff. Instead, it'll be using whatever resources God providentially entrusts to each one of us. And each one of us will be entrusted with different amounts. That's all part of God's sovereign plan. But will we use whatever we've had, whatever we have relative to how we have it and give it away in service of the kingdom? Our hope as your pastors is that in this money series, which we try to do about every other year, that just for a few weeks at the start of a new year when all of us are open, a little more open to considering things like resources, that we would consider this year money as a matter of the heart. Paul Tripp, an author many of you enjoy, uh, addresses this this way. He says, addressing the issue of money and understanding money problems don't begin with money and budget information. They begin with surrender. You and I will never use money the way it's meant to be used, and we will never break disastrous money habits if we're not living in light of the fact that life is not about us. The first step in money sanity is surrendering to the glory of one greater than you. Isn't that helpful? When our lives are about us, then of course we'll use the money we have completely on us. But when we see that there is one grander than us, and that if we see our lives relative to Him, namely God, and our lives are about God, then we'll use our money and possessions to build up His glory and treasure Him, which will in turn bless other people, which will in turn result in a much more joyful life for us. I pray that God would bring us all to the point of surrender because where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. So the command, don't treasure treasures for here. Instead, treasure treasures for there. Now to, to flesh that out, Jesus moves from the commands to an analogy. Like any good preacher, Jesus takes the basic principle and tries to flesh it out and drive it home. That's the function of verses 22 and 23. The trouble for us is the analogy Jesus uses isn't one that we use at all anymore today. And so the analogy actually makes the principle more complex. But in Jesus' day, it wouldn't have been that way. It was a common way of talking to speak of your eye and what your eye did. Again, we don't speak like that, so let me try to explain. Our eyes absorb light. When your eye is healthy, your, your eyes pick up all the light around you, which help you to then absorb whatever's in the room. Walk into a lit room, and your eyes soak up everything in that room. 
but walk in a dark room and your eye won't see much. Or more direct to the analogy, walk into a room in which your eye isn't healthy and you see things as though they're dark, you won't be able to see them. So imagine you go on a trip and you check into your hotel room late at night, use the little key to get in, you walk in the room and it's completely pitch dark. And then you just start walking around like you've been in the room your whole life. What's gonna happen? A lot of pain. Jesus is saying, there's going to be darkness in your life if you're walking around treasuring treasures on earth. If it's dark, but you live like it's light, then that self-deception is gonna cause you great harm. Why? Well, because perhaps like any other aspect of life, perhaps more than any other, in fact, one's relationship to money and possessions carries with it an enormous capacity for self-deception. We can think, as we look at our use of money, that we're handling it rightly, only to find we've deceived ourselves and we're stumbling around in the dark. A tiny, simple example. We're just a few weeks out of Christmas. Does it feel like it to you? It feels like a year ago already. Maybe you went into Christmas morning excited about a gift you bought somebody, but by the end of the morning, you found your heart envious because someone else in the room got a better gift than you. That's the kind of darkness Jesus is talking about. We can think we've gone into a situation full of light, yet not recognizing the darkness that is within. We're so easily deceived when it comes to the issue of money. Church, what we gaze on, what we're captivated by, what is the thing we dream about, is that which we worship. It's that which we treasure. And God knows that if you treasure treasures on earth like that, your life will be full of darkness. But if you treasure Him and use stuff to store up spiritual treasure there, life will be much, much better. Have you experienced even a taste of that? I know so many of you have. If our interests are divided, if we have no clear vision, we'll be in darkness. But if we aim to get this issue right, if we treasure treasures in heaven, then we'll be healthy. Earlier this morning we sang that famous Irish hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Now, the language is, is archaic, but the meaning is so powerful. One little section of that song says, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. You, my inheritance, now and always. You and you only first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure, thou art. That's what Jesus is aiming at. The most wonderful life that can possibly be lived on earth is a life in which Christ is our treasure. 
And everything we have, we use toward the end that those who also know Christ as their treasure have what they need. And that those who don't yet know him are getting opportunity to hear about him and to have their needs met. Jesus' command, don't treasure here, treasure there. Jesus' analogy, be careful that what you think you see, you, you may not actually see. But if your eye's healthy, then you'll see things rightly. Finally, he presses home a, a reality in verse 24. This reality is powerful. Maybe the most famous thing Jesus said on money at all. Now, I want to read it again, but before I do, let me, let me reassure you. There is no ask at the end of this sermon for some gift to this church. That's not what this sermon is principally about. We, we are going to, Lord willing, try to build some buildings here because when it's not rainy, this one's full. And the other ones are full all the time. There's some stuff we need to get done. But the concern today is our hearts. The concern today is our worship. The concern today is that we would be enjoying and treasuring our king this year. It, it's not whether we make budget or not, okay? So there's no hook at the end other than bite on Jesus, all right? Now let me read 24 again. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. An author I read this week refers to that verse in this way. We try so hard to create heaven on earth and to throw in Christianity when convenient as another small addition to the so-called good life. Jesus proclaims that unless we're willing to serve him wholeheartedly in every area of life, but particularly with our material resources, we cannot claim to be serving him at all. Now that stings. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. And that's exactly what John the Baptist said last week. This is a major, major, major theme in the scriptures. And God's aim for us is not to guilt us into wallowing around in shame that somehow we could fix that shame by giving enough money away. That's not the aim at all. The aim is that what we have wouldn't be our idol, but that we'd serve God, who is the only master that returns to us kindness, love, grace, and all the support we could ever need. If we treasure God, we'll leverage money for spiritual gains. But if we treasure ourselves, we'll begin by leveraging money for our own gains, but it will never stop there. 
Eventually, our possessions possess us and our savings enslave. You see, every single one of us will be a slave to something. Now, could there be something more offensive and controversial (laughs) to say from a pulpit? But the fact is, in the language of the scriptures, every one of us is a slave. That is, we will serve something or someone else. We are not full containers. We're empty and we'll always be taking in something to try to treasure it. And God knows the only thing worth treasuring is Him. That's what we're trying to capture in this brief little series on money. I realize the language of master and slave is offensive, but perhaps that's necessary so that we could see the concept. None of us are actually masters of our own domain. We are in his domain. What am I a slave to? Jesus says it will either be God or greed. So choose wisely. Because none of us have the ability, quite literally, that last verse says we don't have the power to serve God and money at the same time. One will always be first. Which one will it be? I don't think that's a decision you make once. I think you make it every single day, over and over and over and over. Now, where does this leave us? Well, the place, I think, to end a sermon like this is not with a big ask for the church, nor is it to leave you sort of wallowing in guilt. Because I imagine all of us have things as we hear Jesus speak here that we could feel badly about. I also don't think the place to end is to sort of roll out the Dave Ramsey financial tools. Now there's a place for those things. They're not unimportant. But that's not this particular message. My hope is that today we would see that we need a renewed appreciation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in reality, if you just look at the last week of your life, friend, have you been faithfully treasuring treasures in heaven the whole time? I haven't. But what would it be like to aspire to that this week? The only way we'll make progress to that end is by looking more longingly, more deeply, more joyfully into the gospel of Jesus Christ. For therein is our treasure, amen? What we need is a deeper awareness of how great Christ is so that we'll surrender to him. And so here's a few things related to resources that are true because of the gospel that I hope will bless you. Christian, there is no money pit so deep that God's grace can't lift you up out of it. There is no mountain of debt so high that God's grace can't climb it. There is no materialism so pervasive that God's grace can't cleanse you of it. There is no financial failure so huge that God in his grace won't cover it. There is no savings so great 
that your bondage to it can't be something God's grace can cleanse you of and release you from. There is no financial need so large that the power of God in the grace of God can't meet that need to the glory of God. God has never written a check of grace that bounced. He's got overdraft protection. And so Christian, surrender to him. Repent wherever you've failed, but realize that's that's a door to walk through, not a room to live in. You live in the gospel of grace. When we treasure God, we'll find ourselves starting the day with him, turning to him throughout the day at particular moments where there's need or where we're just rejoicing, and ending the day with him. And in between those consistent communication touch points with God, then we'll be saying, God, would you use me today in whatever resources I have to bless and serve and help others to your glory. And we'll do so especially with people we've covenanted together in the local church. Using the resources God gives us to advance his work, to help each other, and to make the gospel visible in the world. That's what it means to treasure treasures in heaven. Now, there is simply no way to go through the endless amount uh, with specificity of ways you could do that in the coming week because all of us live slightly different lives. And yet, if we're looking to Christ and enjoying him and treasuring him, then just think of the way in which you could this week really, really, really encourage someone else by how you use your money and how you use your possessions. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, understand that our fundamental message as a church is not use your money wisely and then God will be impressed and he will let you into his heaven. No, our fundamental message is that God is great and that God offers in the gospel the truth that you can be forgiven through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. On a cross outside Jerusalem in the first century, Jesus died to, as we sung about this morning, pay the moral debt that people owe him. All of us are obligated to obey God, to follow him, to treasure him, and yet none of us have done so. And that's left us with a moral debt we can't pay. But that day on that cross, Christ paid that debt for all of his people. And he performed the biggest balance transfer that's ever occurred. Because all the sins of God's people were transferred to Jesus' account. And all of Jesus' righteousness, his right standing with the Father, was transferred to our account. And so it's not that when someone is saved, when they're rescued, when they become a Christian, they start at zero. It's that all the debt you have is given to him and all of his glorious, never-ending balance is given to you. That's what we Christians call the gospel. 
Jesus took our debt himself, paying for it with his death. And then he gave us his very righteousness. If you've not yet turned from sin and trusted in him, that's the place everything changes. That's the place to go. In, in closing, beloved, money is about the heart. How we spend isn't simply a matter of self-discipline. What we need is a new heart. And in Christ, you've been given one. And so now it's learning to live out what's already true about you, what's already true about me. It's that we know the one that's worthy of all treasuring. Amen? And as we turn each day from what I want is what's most important, no, 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 no. What Christ has given me and who he is and what he might do today through me, that's what's most important. This becomes the tail, wagging the dog, rather than the other way around. Church, may we treasure God and leverage whatever he gives us for spiritual gain. We stand with me and let's pray. And mark this day, I am finishing nine minutes early. I heard one clap. <laughs> Sinners in the hands of an angry God. <laughs> Father, the, the, any time we talk about this, boy, it's heavy. We live in one of the most affluent places that has ever existed in the history of humanity. And yet we feel so strapped. Would you today, Father, by your spirit, through your son. Work in each one of our lives in such a way that as a result of what we've talked about this morning, that in just a minute when we break and we have more time than normal to enjoy food and each other, that some of our conversation would be about what we've just heard and that we would spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And that where we need to confess to each other, I've been treasuring myself, I've been treasuring treasures here, and I can look back on 2022 and see the way in which moth and rust are already corrupting and destroying those things. And God, this year, 2023, today, I want you to be number one. And brother and sister, would you, would you support me in that? Would you pray for me? Would you help me? I pray some of our conversations would be about that. 
And I pray we would think creatively together about how we can use that which God has entrusted to us to help each other in such a way that not a single one who calls Church on Mill home, not a single one would have a legitimate need that goes unmet, that we'd freely share with each other. That's part of what made Christianity so unstoppable in the first century. Lord, in the coming days this week, I pray that as we get up, the first thought on our mind would be, I want to treasure treasures in heaven today. And that's clunky to say, so we can just say, Christ, I want to treasure you today. May, may you be in first place. Would you help us to help each other to that end? Thank you for that which you have entrusted to us, and I thank you so much that I am speaking not to people who don't practice these things, but who are well on the way, where there is already so much of this happening, and where so many of us already live as though we're almost home. Thank you, God. May we excel still more to your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.